he spoke into my spirit and he said, my goodness, what if the only thing that I ever asked of you ever again was just to let me love you? And I had never known a God like that. And I, it still, it just catches me. And I thought, if that was what it was like, yes, I would want that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm in this meadow and I'm in the arms of this robed person who I can only assume is God. And we're dancing around this meadow and my feet are off the ground and the, the flowers have resonance and the grass has a flavor. And I mean, just all these amazing things. The scene goes on for, I don't know how long, but when I open my eyes, there's nobody in the church. And I'm talking, there were probably 500 people there. And I'm sitting and the pastor is on one side of me. And I think the music minister is on the other side of me. And I'm just soaked with tears. And the music minister looks at me and says, I saw you in the garden dancing with God. You got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. Welcome to ATP Radio. I'm your host, Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, showing you how to accentuate the positive, the way to a better life. Your radio station is an example of the future existing right now. Welcome to another hour accentuating the positive here on Soul Traveller Radio. I'm your host, Karen Swain. I'm a teacher of deliberate creation, a channel and a medium, channeling wisdom from my guides and broader perspective whom I called blissful beings. On Accentuate the Positive, you'll hear conversations with open hearts and inspired minds. It's my intent to put more love out through our media. It's so important to have a media diet that uplifts you, empowers you, and reminds you of who you really are, instead of a lot of the media that we get that puts you in fear. So this is why I present the show. I've got some wonderful guests lined up for you. Hello and welcome to another the show accentuating the positive with Karen Swain activating all you fabulous light workers out there and difference makers awakening consciousness today I have another delicious guest to introduce to you she is Penny Wilson a mother of three and two grandchildren and three cats and a fiance (laughs) welcome Penny welcome Thank you. So Penny and I have been talking to each other for over a year now, haven't we? We're mm-hmm. Dancing around each other, Penny's had an extraordinary experience. She's another nde She's had a near-death experience. She's a retired nurse and through an illness you left your body during that time. But I'll let you explain what happened. But we've been dancing around each other for a while because here's the thing, when you've had these spiritually transformative experiences and you come back armed with all this knowledge and wisdom you really want to share it but sharing it is is one of the most difficult parts of the journey because you have to get over all your limiting ideas about yourself you have to get over your shyness you have to get over what are people going to think of me and you know to put these shows on YouTube I had to get over all that stuff too but at some point the message becomes more important than your limiting ideas about yourself. And what's really beautiful about this is that the message in itself brings you to that confidence, to that connection 
with your own divinity that just allows you to be comfortable and feel connected to everybody and you don't give a rip what anyone thinks because what you've got to say is so much more important than all those ideas that you used to have about yourself. So we're doing this interview today and Penny has overcome some most of those limiting Yay. ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and so she's going to share with, with all of us her story and what happened. Recently you did an Ireland's talk. Do you want to talk about that because you had to stand up in front of people? I did. I was really nervous about it. And I think we were expecting 12, maybe 13 people. And <laughs> I kind of went crazy and was posting it in the, um, the Facebook groups for near-death experiences. And I didn't really expect anybody to drive and come out. I figured we'd get our normal group that's kind of in the Cincinnati area. And so the people just kept coming in. And so we'd start the story and stop. And, start, and I, I said, you know, we just need to get some more chairs in here. And so we had people sitting on the floor and, and they were just so gracious. It was really nice to share it with them. And that's a nice, safe group to start with, you know, as opposed to starting with a church or something. Isn't that terrible to say? But it's no, unheard no, to share with no, church folks. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, it's really interesting. When you, when you stand in front of people, when I was really young, a lot of psychics used to say, you're going to be standing and talking in front of all these people. And I'm like, that's never going to happen because I was so mm. excruciatingly shy. And I had to learn to do that. But once you get over that pump of your negative ego, which says you're not good enough, you just look out into the audience and you just see yourself. You just see you. Mm -hmm. You see you, the questioner, the seeker. You see you, the experiencer. You see you, the, you know, the soul. You see the soul of you inside all these different bodies. And, it's, mm -hmm. and you're just at home. It was, it was such a wonderful connection. You know, they kind of set everybody up in a circle and, you know, Don, my fiance has been just, it was really hard when we first went through this. Um, he called a friend of ours or what, he wasn't a friend of ours at the time, but he called another experiencer and he said, you know, you're going to have to meet with her and talk some sense into her. She's going to end up a bald headed Buddhist monk. And that was his biggest fear. <laughs> I said, what, would you not marry me if I was a bald headed Buddhist monk? <laughs> Come on, they're good people. Yeah. You could Worse. <laughs> <You do> us. <laughs> he's terrified though, you know, he's and it's hard because you have to sort through this experience that I, I don't think any of us are equipped to to assimilate, you know, and then try to fit back into your body. Plus I was really sick and sick over and over again in rapid succession and life threateningly sick. So, you know, just the physical illness part of it made everything hard because I would kind of get a little bit of it assimilated and then be in the hospital again. And, you know, and there were all those fears that went along with that. I mean, there were times there after, right after the second NDE that... Well, let's, I, let, let's start. Yeah, let's beginning. start. Let's start. So how many years ago did you have the experience? What was happening for you? Um, was it while you were working as a nurse? I was actually off work. I had had, um, I was assaulted by a patient and had to have spinal surgery because I ruptured or herniated discs, no, ruptured discs in my spine and was still recovering from that and not able to return to work right away. And it was like after they put that hardware in my neck, everything just went haywire. Mm -hmm. And so I was just home with my daughter. It was the middle of August, just after my birthday, almost three years ago. And um, I had had a shellfish allergy as a kid. So I always had EpiPens we were just sitting in the house. And I started feeling really odd. And I thought, man, my mouth is itching. And I was breaking out in hives. And I thought, and I'm a nurse, thank goodness. I thought, man, this feels like anaphylaxis. 
And so then I started having trouble breathing and swallowing and we got me to the hospital and that was just, we lived in this really small town at the time and we get there and the lady says, well, you've already taken your EpiPen. I'm not sure why you've come in. And I knew this nurse because I had worked critical care there before and I thought, oh, I might die today. <laughs> you know? I'm like, oh, I hope she doesn't watch this. <laughs> you know who you are. You could have killed me. Um, and she says, you know, well, we just don't have a room clean. So I'm just going to put you in a wheelchair and put you here by the nurse's station. And, and, you know, we'll keep an eye on you. So I'm, I'm looking up because I can't, my airway is closing up and, you know, and I sound like this <gasps> and nobody's freaking out. And so I take my second EpiPen and I cannot breathe. And they tell me, they said, you know, we're just, we need to get a bed in this room. We can't put you in the room without a bed. And I'm thinking, well, by all means, then let me die in the hallway. So finally we get, you, we you get me, you were going to die. Oh, absolutely. I did. Yeah, yeah. And we get me in the room and I, the other, the nurse practitioner comes in and she said, her airway is swelling shut. I have no IV access. They have no way to get drugs into me. And she says, get her to the big room. And I thought, oh man, we're going to have a code. And I, I had run codes in that room many times. So they, they wheel me over there and they start giving me just intramuscular injections because they can't get an IV in. Because when you have anaphylaxis, your vessels all kind of clamp down. So they're working and working and trying to get an IV in. And I had had almost 600 milligrams of intramuscular Benadryl, which is insane, and was still not responding well. And Don got there and he said, um, you need to do something or she's going to die. And they said, oh, no, no, we're, we're a long way off. He said, I think you need to probably intubate her and get her on a ventilator before you lose her airway. Oh, no, no, we're, we've got plenty of time. And within minutes, I quit breathing and just collapsed. And so they got me intubated and, you know, they induce a coma for that and got me on a helicopter and flew me out of there to a big hospital in Lexington. And during all of that is when I had my near-death experience. So, so what happened? It's funny because we kind of can establish a little bit of a timeline because the first thing I remember was being in the car with my sister who lives in Wisconsin. And she's driving down the road and it's pouring rain. And I'm thinking, why is she driving in this terrible weather? And I'm in the backseat of her car. And how did I get here? And, and so I look over her shoulder and her clothes don't match. I thought, what the heck? Why is she wearing that? That looks awful. <laughs> so she pulls over beneath the canopy of a gas station and she's looking at her phone. And so I look over her shoulder to see what she's doing. And she's typing into Facebook and she types in, hang on, kiddo, I'm coming. So it's interesting because this event didn't actually happen at that moment. But when you're on, when you leave your body, time is different. Yeah. And so you can see things that maybe haven't quite happened yet or happened a little bit further back. So you'll get people they'll try to debunk near-death experiences. They'll get medical records and they'll say, oh, this wasn't happening then. Well, it doesn't matter because if you're out of your body, time isn't the same. So you may very well see those things. So when you left your body, you just went straight to this scene, just straight to the back mm -hmm. of your sister's car. So one minute you're like collapsing and the next minute you're in the back of a car. I'm in my sister's car, right. Wow. And, okay. and I didn't know how I got there. I wasn't aware that I was sick. I, I just, I had no idea what was going on. And so she types that, hang on, kiddo, or hang in there, kiddo, I'm coming. And I thought, well, I wonder where she's going. And then I just wasn't in the car anymore. And I kind of come to consciousness, and I'm in this really dark 
the darkest place I've ever been. I don't know if anybody's ever done sensory deprivation, but it was like that. There was no light. I couldn't see my body. I wasn't sure if I had a body. I couldn't feel my feet on anything. So I knew I wasn't standing, but I wasn't lying. I couldn't, but I felt this pressure all around me and it felt very negative. Hmm. And that was really scary. I thought, okay, I've got to try to wake up. Maybe I'm I'm sleeping really hard. And you know how sometimes you'll you'll be sleeping and you'll realize you're dreaming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought maybe that, maybe that's what's going on. That's what it is. I, I'm dreaming and I just can't wake myself up. Mm-hmm. So I kept trying and trying and it, it just wasn't happening. And I realized I was definitely in this place. And I was stuck there. And I couldn't remember. I thought maybe I made up all of that stuff, that life that I remember. Maybe I made up the kids and the world and just so I'd have something to think about in this place because it's awful. And that made me really sad. I thought, oh gosh, I've I've made it all up. I never even really existed. I've just been in this black, awful hole. And it was the epitome of isolation. Just nothing good. And I I just kind of would tarry in that place and I would be either in this really dark void or there would be this deep sleep where I would ha- wouldn't be conscious of anything. And then I'd kind of bubble back up and be in the void again. And, and I remember thinking, I thought of the sleep as a she. And I can just remember thinking, gosh, just have mercy on me and just take me into that sleep and don't, don't let me wake up again. And when she did, it was such a relief because I didn't have to be awake in the void. So you asked to fall asleep in the void. Like put me to sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of people talk about that void. And uh, what was I reading something last night where, oh, no, I was listening to an NDE last night say that she was, you know, in heaven with Jesus and seeing all this stuff. And then she went back into the void before she came back into a body. Mm, there's this place. But I think inside the void, you get to experience your limiting thoughts, your subconscious thoughts. You and exactly. you know, and if you're a positive person, then you're like happy, and if you're a negative person, then you're like, oh. But anyway, go on. Mm-hmm. I, I was just really confused. I couldn't figure out where I was, how to move. I would try to move, and there was this incredible pressure. But, but I would touch my arms, you know, and so it felt like I had a body, kind of. Mm-hmm. And I would touch it, and I, I could discern that nothing was touching me, but. You know how you walk into a room where people are arguing and you can feel it? Yeah, 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 yeah. They stop arguing when you walk in. You're like, oh, something's not cool here. I could feel that sort of sense. And and so there was a period where I went into the deep sleep. And when I woke up again in the void, I was able to move. And so I kind of was floating. And I came to this barrier that was solid. I could kind of see through it, but it was really blurry. So I kept trying to get closer and closer so I could see through. And on the other side, I saw myself laying in the hospital bed. And, it, and I'm on the ventilator and all these things are hooked up to me and I'm tied down to the bed. And I thought, oh, I'm sick. Something's happened and I'm really sick. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God I'm in ICU and that's all really happening and maybe I'll get better. And if not, maybe I'll die and at least not have to be in this place anymore. And so... I wanted to go through the void and and I kept pushing on it or not through the void, through the wall. And I was hitting it and trying to get through it and couldn't get through it. Well, then I saw my daughter and she's standing to the right of the hospital bed, kind of in front of the ventilator with this red shirt on, which is what she had worn that day. And I knew her thoughts. And that's when I realized, okay, something's, I'm out of my body. That's what's going on. 
I could tell, she, I knew her thoughts. I knew she was really scared, but she's very stoic. And yeah. I thought, oh gosh, for the first time, I know her thoughts. Yeah, she's a Scorpio. So she's really, really very to herself. Yeah. I went to reach forward to hold her. I wanted to pull her to me and my hands hit the wall. And I just remember being in this rage that I could not get through that wall. And I was so angry and fighting the wall. And then I just got sucked backwards away from the wall again, back into the void. And so this goes on for some time and I get to a place where I'm able to go back to the wall again Mm -hmm. and it looks like it's breathing. And I thought, oh, the wall's moving. Almost like if you would look, um, if somebody blew a bubble, how the wall of the bubble moves. And I thought, that's moving. I wonder if I could go through it. And so I pushed and I just popped and there was an audible pop and I popped through and I was over my body. And I was in there by myself at the time. And I, this is the interesting part. I saw myself have a seizure. I saw people rush in. I knew which nurses came in. Respiratory therapy came in. A doctor came in. They were injecting stuff into my IV to try to get the seizure stopped. Well, that didn't actually happen that time. It happened the next time I went into anaphylaxis. But I saw it that time. Because when I came out, I, I said to Don, I saw myself having a seizure. And he kept saying, that never happened. That never happened. But then the next time we had the reaction. It did. So I saw that ahead of time. But I was over myself in the bed and I thought, I've got to make myself move because maybe they think I'm dead or something. And so I'm focusing, I'm looking at my hand and I'm thinking, okay, just your finger, just move your finger just a little bit. And it wouldn't move. And I was like, oh, damn it. (laughs) It won't move. And I thought, you know, maybe just blink your eyes. And, And I was just focusing this tremendous energy trying to get my eyes to move or anything so people would know that I was in there and nothing. So I'm pulled back into the void and I'm floating back toward the darkest spot of it. And it just dawns on me that I had made that place. I had made the void. And it, it was an epiphany like no other. And this is why I'm so, I'm, people talk about the void as being a negative place. And I thought, I learned the best lessons of my life in that place. And I had kind of gone through this, I had been divorced for years and was working as a nurse and working a lot, trying to raise three kids by myself, no help from, you know, their dad or anything. And I had just really shut myself off. I I didn't know what I was passionate about anymore, Mm -hmm. what I loved, what pissed me off. I didn't, I didn't know anymore. Mm -hmm. And I just was going through these motions every day, trying to raise kids, trying to take care of a house, working. And I had lost me and I had stopped having friends because I was busy working. And when I wasn't working, I had so much to catch up on. And so I just kept further and further isolating myself. And I remember looking around the void and it's funny. I say it's black, but I could still see that it was black. Mm -hmm. I know that's kind of a hard concept to relate, but I remember looking around thinking, I built this. I built this place. And years before, um, I had asked God, it was while I was still married to my um, ex-husband, I'd asked God, I said, I'm not getting the subtle little cues, you know, that story about, I think it's Elijah's on the mountain and he goes to the mountain and God's not in the hurricane and God's not in the rain and he's listening for God and all of this stuff passes by and God's in the still small voice. 
And that really kind of annoyed me. I said, look, I, I got a lot of stuff going on. You can't be doing this still small voice stuff. I, I need you to be loud. If I'm doing something wrong, speak up. For heaven's sakes, can't you see I've got a lot on my plate? You know what? He spoke loud. He spoke up. And I said, I call them sledgehammer moments. Yes. I called them bricks. I said, God, send me bricks. I said this. Who says this? Somebody with not a lick of sense says, send me bricks. I said, if you need me to do something or I'm going down the wrong path, sling a brick at my head. And don't ever do that. So he he did. He slung bricks. And and I looked back through my life and I saw where he had slung these bricks at me. And instead of building a road or a bridge, I built a wall. Yeah. And I thought, here I asked you for something very obvious to give me direction. And I used it to wall myself in. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just brick upon brick of every hurt I'd suffered, every hurt my kids had suffered. And pretty soon I was just in there all by myself. I wasn't, I didn't feel connected to my kids or my family. I could barely talk on the telephone because it would give me such anxiety. And and I'm just now getting over that. And when I realized all of that, I thought, oh my gosh, what have I done? I've built this isolation. I'm the reason I can't get to my daughter to comfort her. I did this. And when I thought that, it was like cracking an egg open really violently it just, the void just split open and this bright light comes in and this female spirit comes to me and she draws me in. She doesn't touch me, but her energy pulls me into her breast and she's holding me there and she puts out her fist and thrusts it forward. And when she does, it hits the void and the void explodes. So all these shards of the void are flying around and they're, and she's, she's got me in her arms and our energies are kind of funnel clouding around us but we're still individual I, I i remember trying to figure that out how can how can we be so unified and still be obviously who we are mm-hmm. and so this energy is going around us and these shards from the void are trying to penetrate the light that's around us and every time they do the light just gets brighter and it shoots them off and so i'm in this the arms of this woman and i'm thinking who is she and she's big a very big spirit And I look up and she's got these blue-green eyes and I know I know her, but I can't remember where do I know her from. So I'm looking at her and looking at her and I look up and her hair is this strawberry orange-red color and it's on fire on top of her head. And I remember, I said, oh my God, it's my grandma. And I just couldn't believe it. I, I, I said, you're alive. And you know, of course she was alive because you don't die. And uh, she's holding me in her arms and and I just fell apart. I was crying and just the whole trauma of the void and not being able to get to my daughter and knowing I had done all of that to myself. And and she had her arms around me. And I remember she said, Shh, calm yourself, dear one. And I felt the words break apart and go into me. It was like they were down to their tiniest molecule while still holding all the meaning. And they're going through my body like blood through my veins. And I could feel my whole constitution just settling because those words were in me. And it was so interesting because when we would communicate, I didn't have to try to remember. She would think a thought or I would think a thought and the answer would just imprint on the other person. And so 
you know, once I got a little calmed down, I said, how am I here? If I'm, am I dead? Cause she's dead. You know, I must be dead if I'm with her. And she said, oh, there's no death. Yeah. She said, you're, you're either on the earth side or you're on this side or with you, you're on both. And she said, there's a cord still holding you to your body. You can't see it, but it's there. And she said, if that weren't so, then you would be all the way here. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, okay, well, that makes pretty good sense. And, and I said, how can I be existing and have all of this consciousness? And I could see all the way around my head without turning my head. And I could sense who she was and her vibration. And she just had this resonance that was actually musical. Everything had musical resonance. And she had a scent, but I'm just the whole thing. It was this full sensory experience. And she said, well, you know why? Energy is not created or destroyed. It just changes forms. She said, it's true on the earth side and it's true here too. It's a law. I thought, oh, well, that makes really good sense. (laughs) That's cool, Grandma. Thanks, Grandma. Thanks, Grandma. That is awesome information. That's awesome. That third grade science is paying off. So I'm in her arms and it was like, I could see all of the past events of my life, all the good. Well, first I saw all the good and I saw little things that I had done that I had never given a second thought to. Uh And I saw how they rippled in those people's lives. Uh So I used to work with, I had an after school program and I worked with a lot of foster kids and, and I saw just little affirmations that I had given them and how they had carried that forward. And, and it was amazing. And, and, carried it forward into adulthood, even though though they would only be teenagers still. I was able to see it project forward. timeline, yeah, you were able to see the future. Oh my God, so cool. So lovely. It was was amazing. And so I saw those things rippling out. And like I said, little little kindnesses, you know, uh, there was a lady in in line in front of me at a grocery store and I saw this scene and she was a couple dollars short on her bill. And I said, oh, I've, I've got that. And I saw this ripple effect go forward of her helping at a food pantry. And, and it was all that one little thing. Oh, yeah. It, it was just, it was beautiful. And so I, I remember I wanted to think about all of that more. I wanted to see, see it over again. And so I, I expected to see like big things with my kids or big sacrifices I made. And it was all the little stuff. Yeah. So I watched it a couple of times and then all of the ways that I had hurt people just by being insensitive or not thinking before I spoke and, and I saw all of that. And then I started feeling, I just was weeping, you know, weeping for joy that I wasn't in the void anymore and that my grandmother had me and that I still existed, you know, and I wasn't going to exist in that awful place. And then I started being really sad about all of the suffering I had seen in life, the suffering I'd seen my kids go through by not having a dad and the suffering that I had seen in the world and I hadn't been able to stop. And it just kind of flooded over me. And I remember just shaking so hard crying. And then I felt her again. She said, shh, calm yourself, dear one. It's okay. And then again, that calming rush came. And so I was just kind of basking in that. And I didn't realize she had left. And I was just floating in this white light. And so I'm kind of soaked up in my thoughts of seeing all of these things. And then I felt this energy that was, I wish I could describe it. It was this powerful energy that just shook everything that was ever before, ever in the future. 
everything shook. And I remember thinking, oh, I can't breathe. And then this light started coming into me. And I, I couldn't understand what was going on because it was so big. And I just heard two words and it was, I am. Mm. And I was like, oh, it still gets me. And uh, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm with God. Mm. And this light, his light was just everywhere. And it was the brightest white light I'd ever seen. But you could look at it and it didn't burn your eyes and it didn't hurt them. You know, like if you look at the sun, it's painful, but it was so much brighter and not disturbing or painful at all and and it just started rushing into my body and it had resonance it had it was musical it had a smell it had a flavor it was just it was the most exquisite collection of sensations I've ever felt and so I can feel it and it's it's kind of going up inside me and it's going through all of those situations that I had had so much pain over my divorce and him not being there for the kids. The divorce was fine, but him not being there for the kids. And I can remember watching them go out and check the mailbox for things he said he would send. Mm-hmm. And so they'd walk out to the mailbox and they'd come back and it wasn't there. And that was some of the biggest hurts in my life was that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw all that and I, I couldn't see any good that would ever come of that. And he completely reframed it. Right. He's, you know, he's like, oh, it's not what you think at all. Yeah. You, you, you've been completely misinformed. And I, I'm like, well, how could I be misinformed? Their dad left and he, he walked to the mailbox and they looked and it was empty and they come back and cry. And I would mail them cards for their birthdays so that they wouldn't think he had forgotten them. Mm-hmm. And it was just so poignant. And, and then he flashed forward and he showed me this image of my son with his son. And I could hear David's thoughts. And, oh, this is going to choke me up. He's looking at, I know it's killing me. He <laughs> looks hard to cry right now. We're just a mess. We should have brought tissue. Um, Tissues are over there. You're I going. can't reach them, Karen. <laughs> what the heck? You're in a different country. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. He goes forward and he sees your son with his son. What? Uh, yeah, I, I, see, I see my son with my grandson. And I can hear his thoughts and he's, he's looking at Cole, who's my grandson. And he says to him in his mind, I'm going to be the dad to you that I deserved. And I was like, oh, you know, you couldn't do better than to be the dad that you deserved. I mean, if that's the only takeaway that that's worth it. And it was just, I thought, oh my gosh. So having that awful person made such an imprint on him that he's looking at his own son and vowing to be who he deserved. That's just, that's, it's exquisite. There's nothing like that. And so I started seeing this redefinition and I saw that had I stayed with that man, he would have ruined us all. He would have kept doing what he was doing. And, you know, we lived in a small town, so everybody knew, and it would have just broken me down so much as a person that I would have never had any joy in life. So the brick to the head was a good thing because I left. And because I left, I was where I, you know, you're always where you're supposed to be, no matter how bad of a pit you're in. If you'll look at it and think, okay, what am I supposed to learn from this? Especially if you're in a repetitive pit, there's a reason you keep running into the same theme in your life. And it's because you're not seeing it. You're seeing it from a victim mentality. 
you're not understanding that that you through your words and your thoughts and your actions are creating your reality. And so as as I saw that, I thought, oh my gosh, that's powerful information. I mean, I could be living completely differently. So he was showing me all that. And as he's doing that, and all these things are being healed, and, and the time was just crazy. It was like an eternity in a second, all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And everything's happening at once, but there was no chaos. So I feel this light and it's kind of coming up into my my neck. And as it gets to my tongue, it was like I didn't have control over my tongue anymore. And just these beautiful melodies were coming out. And I was like, oh, he set my tongue on fire with his song. And it's crawling up and I can feel it and it gets to my eyes. And I tried to shut my eyes to keep it in because it was so amazing. I didn't want to let that light out, which was just crazy. And so it starts the light and the vibration and the resonance and the flavor, all of it starts shooting out my eyelashes. And so I had to open my eyes because there was just this incredible vibration. And I see that light hit the light that's around us and then race back in. And it goes up into my brain and I can feel it going through all the little curves in my brain. And I just started knowing things, things made sense. And it's so weird. I wish I could tell you what I knew but I know I knew everything. Yeah. I, I don't think you get to bring it back, I guess. Yeah, bits of it. Yeah, yeah, I get bits. Um, yeah, well, bits that you need for your life and, well, that we need for our lives that are listening right. to people that are, you're sharing this with, yeah. But you don't, you don't get to keep it all because, like, all the mysteries of the universe are unraveled in your brain suddenly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just too big to come back with. I mean, I struggled coming back anyway, so... I'm glad I didn't remember it all. And so all this is going through my brain and I'm seeing these scenes. And I remember these flowers that just had this brilliant color. And there were some pink ones and some yellow ones. And each of them had their own unique bit of energy. And they all had their own song and they had their own flavor. And it was just amazing. And I remember thinking, I wish I could see it like that if I go back, because this is just incredible and I didn't realize that there was this much spirit in nature I always loved it but I didn't realize I mean it just blew my mind and so I'm seeing all these things and I can feel his energy going through my head and I can feel it going down to like my smallest levels so it's kind of going through the strand of my DNA Mm -hmm. and it gets down to this deep part of me in this God that I thought was external this whole time is living in me. And I never knew that. I mean, I, I had heard that in church, you know, you can accept God and he'll, he'll live in you. But I didn't understand what that really meant. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I feel him in me. And I thought, oh my gosh, you do want to be there. You do want to be in our hearts, helping us and giving us energy and, and helping us move forward and have compassion and love. And, and I was so excited that that he was in there. I just always thought of him as this kind of detached external being who was sitting up there with a a boat paddle waiting to whack me on the back of the head for all the stuff I was messing up because I just was not doing life well. (laughs) I can see him on a log. He's like, good gravy. Bring Penny over here. Let me hit her with that boat paddle. I got to get my tissues. Hang on. (laughs) Get your tissues. I should have... I should have had them next to me. I didn't realize I'd need them. (laughs) I'm dripping from every orifice here. (laughs) 
That's a good, who was it? Barbara Walters that used to make everybody cry. If Barbara Walters hadn't made you cry, you, she hadn't done a good interview. Oh my God, I'm fucking up my glasses. <laughs> oh, dear. oh, okay, am I composed? You're, you look beautiful. <laughs> okay, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> so I had always kind of pictured him and I, grow, I had grown up Catholic and so I had always pictured him as this, you know, this God that was just basically annoyed with us, you know, good night, you guys are stupid. And I, I just thought that's what he thought. And I didn't know that he really liked us. And <laughs> I had no clue. And it was so cool to find out he liked me. Oh, it, yeah. Not that he loved me. I got that he loved me because I was a creation. And how do you not love something you made? But he liked me and he thought I was funny and he was funny. And so I started seeing these scenes that were, it's so funny because people say past lives. I'm not sure exactly what I saw, but I saw myself in different times in different situations. And I'm not sure if that's just wisdom and experience that he imparted to me or if I partnered with somebody's spirit in that and saw it. I don't know. But I saw these past situations you know, and you're so connected to every spirit there. So it's hard to tell sometimes what's yours and what's not yours because everything is ultimately yours. Mm -hmm. And there was a situation and it was set way back. I would say, I mean, people were riding horses for transportation and wearing armor. So that long ago, I'm not much of a history person. Mm -hmm. And I was living in this small village and, and we were wearing what you would think of as Jesus clothes, sandals, kind of ropey sort of things. I don't know when it was. Yeah. And people were awful to the women. You know, it was nothing to take a woman out and publicly beat her because, you know, your dinner wasn't right or, or she's, she had a crossword for you or something like that. And, and I had started speaking out against that. I said, this isn't love and this isn't how we behave. And when you're given a woman to love and to nurture this, you know, you can't take her out and abuse her like that. That's awful. And so I started talking to the women about it and saying, you know, it only continues because we put up with it. We have to be strong enough, but you know, how would we eat? Where would we get food and all these things? Well, that was kind of considered rabble rousing. And mm -hmm. so they decided that um, they would take me down to this town square to flog me or whatever they were going to do. And so we're going down there and I, I see this whole scene. And like I said, I don't know if it's me or not, but it feels very personal to me. And they tie my legs to two horses and they tie my arms to two horses and they drop this big wooden thing onto a wooden platform and it makes this crazy loud noise. And all these people are there and they're yelling and cheering for this thing to happen. And I know I'm going to die and they pull me apart. And when they do, this bright light shines out of the holes where my arms and legs used to be. And I'm just hanging in the air with this light suspending me, shooting out of me. And everybody is freaking out because I don't think they expected that. And, and then I was out of that scene. And so I'm back with God and, and he says, you've got it in your head that you have to sacrifice everything and that you have to be everything to everyone. And that if you're not emotionally taking care of everyone, you are somehow less. And I want you to know that when you go back, it's okay for you to love you and to take care of you and to nurture you. And out of that, you'll be able to do far more than what you're doing just out of obligation. And so it was just really, really good information for me. And I have to, I have to tell this little story. It was probably 
a year or two before the first near-death experience, we had just started going to this really large church in Lexington. It was a Wednesday night and I wasn't going to take the kids, but I felt compelled to go and I didn't normally go on Wednesday nights. Everything was just abnormal that night. I'm driving there. They said how much the lottery was and I thought I'm going to stop and buy a ticket. Had never bought a lottery ticket. So I buy a ticket. I get to church. They're doing these baptisms and a lot of my church experiences hadn't been good. And this lady is up on the stage and she's talking about how she had been abused as a child, had grown up and was using drugs and misusing her body. And she was going to go to move to another city to get involved in pornography. And a friend had said to her, I'll help you move if you'll come to church with me and go to this group. And they had like a recovery group. She wouldn't go, she wouldn't go, but then she didn't have anybody to help her move. So she finally had to go. Well, she's up on stage that night being baptized and she's telling the story, just rips your heart out. And I looked around expecting to see judgment because that had been my experience in church. And there just wasn't a dry eye and the love was palpable. And I thought, oh my gosh, they're loving her, even though she's done all these terrible things. Mm -hmm. And I thought if God was like that, that would be really cool. And, And here I'd been churched, you know, I just didn't understand God's nature at all. And So it gets to the end and we we all stand up to sing and then to pray. And I close my eyes to pray and I've only heard God audibly twice in my life and this was one of them. And I hear, if you win the lottery, are you going to go to the lottery office and just ask for $1,000? And I opened my eyes and I I looked around and there wasn't anybody there. And I thought, what the heck was that? And everybody's praying and I'm thinking, okay, you're losing it. And so I, I put my head back down and doing the whole pray thing. And it just out of obligation, there was no heart connection in this prayer. And, and I heard it again. If you win the lottery tonight, will you go to the lottery office and just pick up a thousand dollars? And I realized it was God and it, and it annoyed the crap out of me that he was talking to me while I was trying to pray. This is the kind of person I was. I'm like, what the heck? I am trying to be pious here. Could you just stop for a minute? <laughs> Let me do this. I got to get some Myers to buy milk. I'm trying to pray to God. Will you stop talking to me, God? <laughs> what the heck? You're so rude. <laughs> and so he says it again. And, and I said, well, no, that's stupid. And Because I'm annoyed because he's bothering me while I'm praying. And, and he said, well, why not? That's what you've done with me. And it just hit me like, like a truck. And I remember... I heard, I remember just deciding that I was going to get really honest with God. And I said, you know what? No, I, I would. If, if I had to come to your office to pick up a little bit of God, that's exactly how much I would pick up a little bit of God. Because I have been working for you for years and I am flipping exhausted. I have been praying. I've been helping and doing this and volunteering for that. And I'm sick to death of it. I'm done. I don't have anything else left to give you. So move on, go to the next person who has some abundance in their life because that's not me. And he just spoke into my spirit and he said, my goodness, what if the only thing that I ever asked of you ever again was just to let me love you? And I had never known a God like that. And I still, it just catches me. And I thought, if that was what it was like, yes, I would want that. And so I sit down, I guess I sat down because when I came back to where I was, I was sitting, but I sat down 
And I just wasn't there anymore. I was in this beautiful meadow. And it was so interesting when I had my NDE because I recognized that place. I had been there before in church that night. Mm -hmm. And so I'm in this meadow and I'm in the arms of this robed person who I can only assume is God. And we're dancing around this meadow and my feet are off the ground and the, the flowers have resonance and the grass has a flavor. And I mean, just all these amazing things. And I needed that physical affection. I had been single for so long and had decided I would never be with another man. And I had forgotten what it felt like to have somebody even just hug me or hold me. Mm-hmm. And I was so moved that he knew that and he did that for me. And so the scene goes on for, I don't know how long, but when I open my eyes, there's nobody in the church. And I'm talking, there were probably 500 people there. And I'm sitting and the pastor is on one side of me. And I think the music minister is on the other side of me. And I'm just soaked with tears. And the music minister looks at me and says, I saw you in the garden dancing with God. So it was like this shared spiritually transformative event, right? And I think, holy cow, I don't know what is going on in this church, but I'm leaving. And I just get up and leave, right? Because I got to get milk. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. I got to get to the store and get that milk. <laughs> so, I get <laughs> so I go into the store to get the milk, right? And it's like 9.30 at night or something. I go into the store and kind of to my left as I'm walking in, there are a couple people standing there and they see me and they do. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, the freaks are out tonight, you know? So I go back and I get my milk and people are kind of looking and I noticed a couple people's eyes were watering and I thought, what the heck? This is, I've got to get this milk home because tonight is just weird. So I get to the checkout with the milk and the lady looks at me and I see her pupils get smaller. She said, oh my gosh, you're glowing. And I said, oh, thank you. She said, no, I mean, you're shining. Yeah. And I thought, oh yeah, this is too much. So I get the milk, I get in the car, I go home. Okay. So back to the NDE. (laughs) I'm going to be an emotional wreck after this conversation. (laughs) You're going to need a nap. It's a good thing it'll be my bedtime when we're done. Oh my God, you're glowing. Oh, wow. I love that. I mean, you're shiny. I thought, oh yeah, this is crazy. That's so uh, cool. Isn't that crazy that I I just had never, God's just amazing. I've, it's so cool that I understand his nature now because I didn't. I I, I don't really use the word God because it sort of brings back all those, you know, concepts that that church sort of says it's a man and he's got the cricket back and he's going to hit you when you do. Uh, <laughs> and he doesn't really I, care what you call him. No, I use the word love, like love is amazing. Love, love. or source. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Same, but same, 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 yeah. It is all the same. Love and is amazing. Love is amazing. But you know when it is you love, you know, when you fall in love, you glow. I mean, you literally uh-huh. glow. You literally glow. You do. Yeah. You do. Absolutely. And it was like that. You get that love all over you and you can't help but be a little shiny after. <sighs> get the love all over you. Okay. Back to the NDE. Okay. So I'm, I'm in the NDE and I'm in the light with him and I'm, you know, trying to just absorb this time with him. And he reiterates that, that he loves me. And that's, that's all that's ever required is just for me to let him love me. Because here's the thing. You can be a total jerk. 
But if someone is pouring that kind of love into you, it can't help but affect you. I tell people this all the time. You are not going to beat somebody over the head with hell and convince them that there is a loving God. You're just not. And, and who wants any part of that? But if you love, it's irresistible. Mm-hmm. It, it is so, you just, you can't be around somebody who's positive and happy and affirming and loving and walk away feeling like crap unless that is just your choice. Yeah. And I think that was his takeaway message was just be my love, you know, be my love. It was so amazing. And so, you know, I'm having all of this going on and I feel us getting closer and closer to what feels like will be the start of where my DNA is. And I'm stopped. I realize I'm not going to go any further. And it wasn't like they told, he told me I, I, had, I couldn't go further. I just knew. And I started to cry and I did not want to leave. And I said, please don't, don't make me go back. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because here you think, you know, I've got these kids that were young. I mean, in their upper teens, you know, my son was probably 20, my oldest. And I didn't have any, this sounds awful. I didn't have any worry for them because I know ultimately there's no death. It all works out. You know, they're going to be okay. And I want to be in this place. I want to have this one thing for me just this one time. And I knew I couldn't have it. And that's part of what makes the transitioning back so hard. But so I'm being pulled away from the light. I can feel it getting more and more distant and I can feel the weight of my body coming back. And I was crying and I said, God, at least let me remember it. Let me have, let me have some of it or I, I just won't have any hope. And I woke up. I was in my body. I was off the ventilator and the doctor was standing there and I said, wow, I was with God. And so they sent in a psychiatrist. <laughs> I'm, in a, I'm in a faith-based hospital. You're in a faith-based hospital <laughs> and they send in a psychiatrist. Isn't that great? And you know, you're so overwhelmed by the experience. You don't, my nurse brain would have known and told me, Penny, probably you don't want to go into too many details because they're going to write all this down and they're going to assign a diagnosis code to it. But I just, I, I had to, I couldn't not. I said, I was with God and the light was glowing and the, the flowers, they smelled and they tasted and, and I, they had their own mute. Did you know flowers had music? Mm-hmm. And Right, right. And here's, you know, auditory delusions, <laughs> visual hallucination. <laughs> I, tell you what, I tell you what, if they, you know, give you a diagnosis of madness because you can see the music in the flowers, then I want to be mad. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> like, call me crazy, but I want to see the music in the flowers. Like, yeah. I, I'm like, is this, even if, even if I was crazy, is that such a bad thing, you know? Yeah. So what? Right, right. And it was so funny because we got out of the hospital. I told Don, I, I had a really hard time reacclimating to being in my body. I bet. Cognitively, I had problems. I couldn't figure out proper speech. I would say things like, um, Don would say, Penny, do you know where this is? And I would say, no, I can't remember that. Hmm. And I, I just had these words that would get stuck together. So I really, really struggled. And he was trying to figure out where exactly this disconnect was happening. And I said, you know, when you buy your kids Christmas presents, I used to buy the kids Christmas presents. And I remember when I was little, we'd get something we really wanted and you had to undo all those little ties that Satan puts on them (laughs) because nobody else could make ties like that. You can't get those blessed things out of the box and you can't get that stupid battery compartment off. You got to go find that teeny tiny little screwdriver. And (laughs) 
So I would always undo all that stuff ahead of time and put the batteries in and then put everything back in the box, but it never fit the same. And that's what I feel like to this day. I feel like I got shoved back in this body and I'm never going to fit right. And I'm more okay with it now, you know, because I've had some time, but at the onset, it was nuts. We, we were in a Walmart parking lot and I kept, you know how you be in your car and you can tell the person next to you is staring at you, but you can't see them. Yeah. And you look, you know exactly where that energy is coming from. Yeah. And you look and you're like, oh, wow, that freak is staring at me at the red light. And he's picking his nose, you know? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. That feeling. <laughs> well, we're in the Walmart parking lot and I feel that. And I'm thinking, who is looking at me? And it was just penetrating. And I look and I see this rock on the ground and I knew that's where it was coming from. And I could see the light coming off the rock. You know, and then I got to tell Don that. I'm like, hey, babe, do you see that rock? (laughs) I said, it's looking at me and I can see the light coming off of it. And he was really sweet about those things. He's like, well, that's that's okay. You know, it's going to get better. going to you're going to be okay. And just a rock and, you know, or, and then it would be a tree. I, we would be outside and I'd say, Oh, and it would take my breath. And I'd say, I can feel that tree loving me. You know, he was pretty good about all that until he was worried till I almost went Buddhist monk. And that was pretty funny. <laughs> but how beautiful to know that the trees love you to feel the yeah. trees loving you. Yeah. People have no idea what God has created here everything that he's made and it's all in his show of love for us yeah you know that's why i tell people for you not to take care of it is just the worst thing because that that tree is there god put it in your path that specific tree because he knew someday you'd be living in that house or you'd be on that Mm -hmm. camping trip just to show you how much he loves you and that's all he wants is just to love you because if you let him do that it's just going to ooze out all over everybody and everything's going to be better yeah and it's really that simple. But the truth is that tree is me because we're all just one consciousness. It's just interesting when you were talking about, I don't know if it was a past life or what that was going on. It's all us at some yeah. level. You know, there are different, there's like the individual us and then there's our close family, then there's our family group, then there's our community or our friends and our community. You know, there's different levels of us and then ultimately there is all that is, which is us. So what level do you want to look at life through the singular level the group level the collective level the but when you look at life through that oneness level everything is me it's all me and I tell people that I say you have to be careful especially women especially women who are nurses I tell them you cannot gossip you have to stop that because that word gets out of your mouth and I know you think that person didn't hear you they weren't at work that day but we are all connected. And that word that you just said, that awful thing you just said about that person or that judgment that you passed on them just pierced their spirit. And they may not know it yet and you may not know it yet, but let me tell you, when you get on the other side, you're going to see it and you're going to see how that rippled forward, that unkind word that you couldn't keep to yourself. Yeah, And it it really tames the tongue when you know that, that, that you don't even have, just having a bad thought about somebody is enough to to hurt them you know it's so interesting I was playing with this one day someone had said come to see this person talk so I go to see a woman talking she's selling some diet regime right and she stands on stage and she shares her personal story and she's really open and authentic and vulnerable and although I wasn't interested in the diet regime 
it was a really sort of like hard workout regime. It was looked like torture to me, but um, <laughs> I was just appreciating her and thinking it's not easy to stand up on stage and be vulnerable like that. And I'm really appreciative that you're sharing your story so openly. And I was just loving her. I was just appreciating her in the audience, right? And I had no intent to talk to her afterwards. I just wanted to go home and go to bed. And I was thinking, what, what am I doing here? <laughs> anyway, but loving her and just feeling appreciative that she had dedicated her life to trying to help others. And I got up and I went to leave and she came straight over to me because we can feel each other's thoughts. You know, you look out into a sea of faces when you're talking and you know what people are thinking. You, you can feel it. You can feel the criticism. You can feel the love. And she just came straight up to me. She didn't know why she came straight up to me, but she was feeling my appreciation. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to die to know that. We can play with that while we're still incarnate, you know, while we're still in bodies. And animals respond. You look at the animal and you just love it. You don't say anything to it. It just, it hears you. It speaks mm -hmm. to you. It, it's funny that we, it never occurred to me that you know, I mean, God's not right here in the room with me. I mean, I guess he is, but yeah. But you know what I mean? I mean, I can't reach out and, you know, give him a slap on the back or anything. And his love permeates these walls and this roof and this body. And if you'll open yourself up to it. And I think people just, life is hard. I think we come in knowing what we need. You know, you come in and you know, you need this affection and this cuddling and to be cooed to and, and affirmed and, you know, and then as we get older, we're such a society of individualism, which is great because we have things we need to get done. And, you know, there is the work of living on the earth. I, I'm not under any false impression of just sitting in my bedroom being love is going to pay the bills, but you just have no idea. And like you said, it's fun to play with. I'll go and I'll be in a restaurant or something and, and I'll just, I know it probably sounds creepy, but I'll see somebody that's eating alone and you can just kind of tell by their energy that they're alone and, mm -hmm. and and not just in the sense of being in that place, but alone in general. And and so I'll just kind of start focusing just this warm, loving God energy on that person. And invariably, they'll smile as they come by or, you know, hey, how are you doing? And this is a person who's got their face on their phone or in a book the whole time to avoid that feeling of being alone. And I remember what that was like, just the busy work of life so that I didn't have to think about this wall that I had built in front of myself so that I wouldn't have to experience hurt or you just cut yourself off. And I, I think kind of as a survival tool, you I mean, you almost have to when life's that hard. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're trying to parent three kids by yourself, it's hard. And if you let everything bounce off you and hurt you, you're just, you can't get anything done. But the thing is, is when you build those walls, you block out everything. And I can remember when Don and I got together, I was having a really bad day at work and he came up and I think I needed him to bring something. And so he said, I'll meet you in the parking garage. And so I went out to the parking garage and he could tell just by looking at me, I was having a bad time and, and he hugged me. And I have to tell you, I think in my adult life, I've never felt it like that. He hugged me and I could feel those feel good hormones release in my body just feeling close to him and him being tender with me. And I thought, how many women have just given this up because they're so busy with their kids or their jobs or their lives and they've forgotten about this intimacy of connection with people, physical connection, you know, hugging your kids or 
you know, feeling really close to somebody like that and just letting yourself enjoy it, not letting it just be this obligatory, oh, hi, how are you doing? Yeah, okay, good, hi. honey, good to see you, you know, and you walk away, but you don't really experience that moment. Yeah. And you just rob yourself and you don't even realize it. And pretty soon you're dried up and you don't know why and you don't feel anything anymore and you don't have any passion for the person you're with. And, and it just got sucked away a little bit at a time just because you were trying to get through life because life's so hard. Mm. So I think it's on us, on those of us who know better. You know, I said, if I didn't start telling my story, there's a story in the Bible and I think it's, it's either Elijah or Elisha. And he talks about the love of God in him. And he says, it's like a fire shut up in my bones and he's got to get it out. And I love that. And that's what I feel like. I feel like it's just this love that's shut up in my bones. And if I don't let it out, I'm just going to burst. Yeah. And then that's what it's supposed to be like. It's not supposed to be about walking through life with shame and guilt of all the mess you've made. And, you know, we're all messy. And and that's just the endearing part of us. I mean, you know, you see little toddlers and stuff playing and they're little snot machine messy disasters, but we still love them, you know, because they're adorable. And, you know, it's cute that they wonder what they can put up their nose. and <laughs> Snot machine messy disasters. <laughs> You know, they come in and they've got a bean sprouting out their nose. And that's how mom finally figured out they'd put a bean in their nose. And I'm like, that's adorable. Yeah. And and I think that's how we are. I think he sees us like that and says. It was interesting, yeah. something that you said about your ex-husband too. And, you know, seeing the timeline of your son and how mm. the, the thought that was coming was we're just all souls. We're all love playing the villain or taking on the limiting thoughts yeah. that make us act like assholes and dickheads and. Mm-hmm. But we're all love and there is a greater purpose to all of it. You know, there's many of us that have had crappy parents. Yeah. But in the end, those crappy parents were playing their role and it was all perfect because without that crappy parenting, I wouldn't be the spiritual teacher I am today and I wouldn't love as much today. I wouldn't love my children as much today. So it's all perfect in the end. It's all perfect. And I think if you can realize that, that's the big takeaway. If you can realize that whatever mess you're sitting in right now, Mm -hmm. and and we all are, we're all just, we've all got something, you know, and I don't pretend not to. I've done a lot of things in my life I'm not proud of and, Mm -hmm. and not been the best parent that I could have been at all times. And, you know, so we all have these regrets and, and instead of, just owning that and giving ourselves a little bit of grace, you know, we judge others and say, oh, you know, look what that person's doing. I, I would have never done that with my kids. And I saw something on, I wish I could remember the name of the movie that I saw it on, but the person was talking about embracing the fullness of who you are. Mm-hmm. And the line was from the Bible, I am that I am. And God says that I am that I am. And he said, when you say it, put a comma after that. I am that I am. So that when you look at somebody who's doing something, I am that, I am that, I am. And I've been doing that. I see people doing just crazy, ridiculous things. And I, I look at it and I think, you know what? I am that. I am. I, am I, have, I have it in me to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I understand now why they're doing it. You know, they don't have the same circumstances that I have that would prevent it. Mm-hmm. And it, it gives you a lot of compassion for people. Yeah, Totally. I want to share with you just a small story from yesterday. I had a session with a client and she's been going through a tough time and she's she's coming around and having these epiphanies while in the body. Sometimes we don't need to leave our body to have these epiphanies. And right. 
she said, I wish someone would just scoop me up and hug me, you know, going back to that being scooped up and hugged and embraced like your husband did and God did with you and you felt that just that support and that embrace. I wish someone would just scoop me up and hug me because she lives alone, she's single. And she said that when she came back, because I've been telling her, you know, do your meditation, she went into her meditation and she started to see that mind of hers that criticizes and panics and worries. She started to see that outside herself like a naughty child. And then the mind said to her, I'm sorry I've been causing you so much trouble. Oh, I'm sorry. And she saw this mind as this entity outside of herself. And then she connected to her broader perspective, her loving essence, her God self, her pious self, or whatever you want to call it. In that meditation, she scooped this mind up and hugged it. And she wanted to feel it physically. So she grabbed a pillow and she scooped it up in her arms had the pillow represent her mind that, you know, worries and goes crazy and tries to work everything out and hugged it and embraced it. And she said that this overwhelming feeling that you were speaking about in your NDE of how you were embraced by God or feeling that embrace and that connection. And she said, wow, that was just so good. I just did it over and over and over again because it just felt so good. But instead of resisting that negative mind those limiting thoughts she embraced it and loved it like you would a naughty child it just it was so beautiful the epiphany was beautiful you're gonna write that down anyway that's another story (laughs) she went there I think it's so beautiful that she went there that she Mm -hmm. saw it and was able to pull her own personal judgment back enough to look and 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 recognize her mess and realize you know that an unruly child who's flailing on the floor often just needs to be held, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we're all that person. And that's that love of self, you know, like we all get crazy and we all get angry and we all say terrible things, but not sure. to, not to judge ourselves, but to love that aspect. And, oh, darling, we could talk all day. I don't know how long we've been talking. So you've probably got more to say. You had a second NDE. <sighs> I don't know where they end though. Like they're each one is just kind of a continuation of the one before and they're the same themes, you know? So it, it's not anything people are like, Oh, you had three. And I said, it's like if you went to the exact same resort three times and did the same thing, they're, they're just a little bit of expansion on the general themes, but the themes are the themes. And it's funny because every once in a while I'll have, I had it last night. It's funny that I just thought of that. I woke up and, Don and I had been bickering last night. We're just kind of tired. We've had a lot of stuff going on this last two weeks. And um, we've got this big march on Saturday and he's been preparing for that. And and he's tired and I'm tired. And so anyway, we were bickering and it wasn't like a dream. It was different. I was conscious. It was like I was seeing him with my spirit. Mm -hmm. And I'd never had this happen before. I mean, I've always like consciously understood that, but to actually experience it. And so I felt my spirit move out of me. And so he's like right here and my spirit is going up and down over him like this. And I'm sensing all the stress that's in him and all of the pressures he feels like and, you know, all the places where he feels like he has to perform and he's being judged in work and things like that that are just stressful for him right now. And 
and trying to make sure this thing is perfect for Saturday because he's a perfectionist and that's a hard person to be. Thank God I am not a perfectionist. The house will never be clean, but <laughs> at least I don't carry that because that's hard. It's a hard life to live. Yeah. And I instantly woke up when I felt that and I realized I hadn't been in myself and I know that sounds crazy, but it's, I felt it. And I looked over at him and I thought, it's been hard. He's lost, you know, he's lost his mom and all these things, all these stressful things in just a really short time. And I've been sick and that's been a lot on him. And, and I just had this overwhelming compassion. And I was like, do I wake him up and tell him I'm sorry for bickering with him? <laughs> or do I let him sleep? Because I know how tired he is. I let him sleep. But, but I let that change my heart, you know, and that's in all of us to do, to kind of get outside your own right to be angry. Mm-hmm. And, and look at it and say, who is that really benefiting? You know, nobody. Look, I'm dealing with someone at the moment who is doing amazing things, but she's left her husband and she's just hating her husband. And could I try and convince her that, that carrying that hate actually manifests in every part of your life? You know, you can't, you can't have a successful business and hate your husband. You just can't. I mean, yeah. her business is failing and so I'm helping her. I said to her, the foundation of your vibration is ultimately going to create everything in your life, including your success. And you can't carry hatred for someone, especially inside a conscious business too. Mm -hmm. At the moment, her right to be right about how wrong he is, is the dominant force. And so there's nothing I can say at the moment that is going to turn her. And I actually did last night because I had a meeting with her last night. I came home to bed and I did I did what you said, you know, I just surrounded her in love. Nothing I say is going to make a difference. So energetically, I just put this golden love around her and just, you know, just saw her melting and coming to that realisation that forgiveness and giving up your right to be right Mm -hmm. is ultimately going to feel a hell of a lot better. You're going to enjoy your life more. Your kids are going to thrive. Your business is going to thrive. You're going to manifest all the stuff and the things and you want because what we're here to do is not to manifest the stuff, it's to manifest the emotion. That's what we're manifesting, evoking that. And sometimes we need a bit of a sledgehammer moment like a near-death experience (laughs) or an illness or a divorce or a death of a loved one. It's like a crash course and stop being a Crash (laughs) course and stop being a (laughs) That's what it is. I don't know when I signed up for that or how much I paid for it, but dang, that stuff works quick. (laughs) That was money well spent. Thank you, God. He's like, come here. Man, you're dumb as a box of rocks. Come here. Oh, Penny, we can. When you're God, everybody is dumb as a box of rocks. <laughs> we could laugh all day. <laughs> but, you know, I hope people watching this got to get it because, you know. And it's a choice to get it. You know, it's, it's so funny. People used to tell me this, and I was so committed to not believing it. You know, yeah, they say, committed to being right about, about you being wrong. <laughs> It's insanity when you put it like that, but you realize it. You say, "Yeah, that is that is pretty stupid, actually." You know that I'm going to go through life thinking people would tell me you should meditate. You know, you need to you need to center yourself and get calm. And I'm like, "All right, Dalai Lama, you know, move on." 
<laughs> that crap doesn't work. <laughs> And then I have a near-death experience, and I think, I need to get quiet. And <laughs> All right, Della. Get a little fun. Come on, Dolly. Hang out with me. <laughs> and I'm like, they were right. Holy cow. Oh, wait. He's like Hindu, isn't he? Uh, no, he's oh, Buddhist. Oh, okay. Dalai Lama. I didn't know if he was a Hindu. I thought, oh, no, I've just offended the Dalai Lama because I said, holy cow. But that's Hindu. <laughs> right? I, I see. I've totally gone off page. <laughs> I've got, I got to tell you, you're not going to offend the Dalai Lama. He, he is he's so. looking at life through the eyes of source, you know, like he is doing what we all are attempting to do. He's seeing all of that as funny. Yes. As God, as love. Like that, you cannot offend him. You just he'll see this and he'll think, that Penny Wilson thinks I'm a Hindu. <laughs> <laughs> that girl from Kentucky is so funny. It's like my girlfriend, she's transitioned now, but when we were at school, I went to a convent, a Catholic school for a little while. I wasn't Catholic, but I was expelled from my other school and the nuns took me in. And <laughs> she said to me, it's the pub cat. <laughs> So. You're the Catholic. You should know that. <laughs> anyway, you know what? We don't have to know those details in order to feel love and enjoy our life. It's really all about no. the vibe. It's not about the details. <laughs> you know, That's whatever floats your boat turns you on. You know. <laughs> yeah, you know, just try not to crap on other people. That's basically it. You know, it all boils down to all that stuff you learned in kindergarten. Be nice to people. Share your stuff. Don't tear things up. Leave the room cleaner than it was when you got there. You know, it's so funny because those are concepts that are easily understood by children. And then I don't know what happens. We get in the world and we have this brain fart and we can't remember any of it, you know, and, and we decide, oh, well, you don't believe like I believe. And, and so now you're an idiot. And that's yeah. stuff in kindergarten you knew you couldn't do. You couldn't look at the kid next to you because he didn't like chocolate milk and say, yes, well, clearly you are a moron. You didn't do that because you knew it wasn't okay. But suddenly you get 40 years old and it's politics and you can hate each other and it's all all right. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't know where those kindergarten lessons went to. We all know better, I think. Yeah. Most of us know better. Well, we get imprinted with other people's ideas and the, and the imprinting comes, you know, we get imprinted from the beliefs of our parents. So you mm-hmm. do see kindergarten kids going, you're an idiot. And it's not, it's not who they are. It's just that imprinting of those. Mm-hmm. You know, they see their, the mother say to the father, you're an idiot. And they go to school and they go, you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. And then we have to unravel all that as, we, as, as life becomes too painful, you know, the stress becomes too much, the walls become too high, the mm-hmm. isolation. Then we have to unravel all that. And sometimes people job. die and they unravel it. And sometimes people do personal growth courses or mm-hmm. meditate. There's so many ways to unravel it. But basically, we're here to unravel it all because media is one of those things that's perpetuating all this fear. But, you know, I have to say I've been a big fan of Married at First Sight in Australia. My niece and I have been watching it. And, and we've just been watching these couples try to have a relationship with that wall that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants to say, I even like you, let alone I love you, because they've all got their walls up. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's actually hilarious. It's like a comedy show. 
Oh, I'm what, sure. Watching these couples try and have a relationship with each other with all their walls up because mm-hmm. obviously if you go on that show, you can't find a partner. You've got big walls around you, right? Yeah. So it's really interesting. And The biggest yeah. fight that Don and I ever got in, we were at the bank here in town and I could not tell you what we were fighting about. He said something to me like, does anything bother you? Do you have any emotion? And in that moment, I did. And I hadn't in a really long time. And I said, you want feelings? You want feelings done? Well, you got them. Here they are. So I get out of the car and I'm going to walk home. He's like, what are you doing? He doesn't know who this person is because I'm always (laughs) pragmatic and composed. and, And now I'm walking home. And He's like, get in the car. And I'm like, oh, no, you wanted emotions. Well, here they are. (laughs) We still laugh about it. It's hysterical. (laughs) I know. And that's the thing. You know, that team, that spiritual team that's watching us, they see us go through our dramas. And it's we are their sitcom. (laughs) Absolutely. You know it. Absolutely. And yeah, they have a good time. Anyway, we're going to stop this now because we've been going on forever. But Absolutely. Penny, thank you so much for sharing. I know it's it's been beautiful and insightful and emotional and delicious and gorgeous. And and Penny's going to share her story too in the upcoming book series, The Awakening. Oh, yes. That's so exciting. And we have, and my story will be in the... um, Another book as well. Another book. What is it? The Transformative Power of Near-Death Experience. Near-Death Experience. Remember. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's a nice collaboration. Yeah. So that's a compilation of near-death experiences, whereas our book is it's called Surviving Death. Mm-hmm. And it's stories of people like you that have literally survived death and people that have actually had their sledgehammer moment by a child dying or there's a few stories with children die because I think that's one of the most devastating things. I had some people staying here I said what's the worst thing you can imagine happening and she said it straight away my child dying and I said yeah and and these people have been transformed through that death you know they've had this transformative experience and they're out there in the world doing incredible things helping others surviving death because there is no death as grandma said there is no death there's no death no death what are you thinking (laughs) you know and it's not you're either alive here in your body or you're super alive there. That is it. Those are the only two options, you know, and it's good to know. Well, it's actually multitude because we're, uh, you know, the greater part of us is actually there. There's just an aspect of us. Right, 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 right. And that oversoul, that greater part of us, that soul, that divine spark is actually leading all those lives, those different lives simultaneously. So we're busy. We're busy. You I know. know. We're, we're no wonder busy. I'm tired. No wonder. <laughs> <laughs> Makes perfect sense now. No wonder I need to nap at two o'clock. I probably conquered some empire somewhere. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All happening, all in the one time. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Been beautiful. And remember, if you want to join us in the Inner Sanctum this year and be part of the group that gets to meet our guests. Join up at karenswain.com slash inner sanctum. 
we have so many beautiful guests coming on this year to share with you. And we talk about deliberate creation, how we create our reality and flow, you know, we flow our energy to actually be in alignment with that broader part of us, that divine spark. And life just becomes this tumbling ecstasy of synchronistic moments, one after the other after the other, when you get in the flow of your true nature and you drop those limiting ideas about yourself, you let go and and transform those imprinted ideas that we have. That's what we do in the Inner Sanctum. Join us in the Inner Sanctum and check out my website, karenswain.com, for any readings and teachings available about spiritual, deliberate creation for the change makers, difference makers, and disruptors. So thanks again for joining me for another show, Accentuating the Positive, Awakening Consciousness. Catch you next time. Bye for now. Clap along if you feel like that's what you want.